you know, there, you know, when I think of pain, it's, it's like, okay, is this a physical pain, like pain where it will hurt you, you know, like a pain in your, in your hamstring or your quad or whatever. And, or, and you're like overtraining and you just think, you know, or a, it could be a potential hot spot that turns into a stress for stress fracture, like a pain that will not go away, no matter what you're doing that day. That's a mm. pain that needs to be recognized and to be dealt with. That is not a pain of in your head, right. you have, you, you're trying to work through it. And then when you get into uh, specific workouts, right there, it, it's understandably so that, um, that you will get into a workout and there will be a time period in there where you will want to quit. You will want to get rid of that, that quote unquote, that pain. This episode of the Smart Athlete Podcast is brought to you by Solpre. If you're active at all, whether you're running or simply out walking for the day, you've probably experienced one of the number one problems that active people have, and that's chafing. Solpre's all new, all natural anti-chafe balm solves that problem while feeding your skin the vital nutrients it needs to be healthy. If you'd like to stop chafing once and for all and treat your body right, Go to Solpri.com to check out the anti-chafe bomb today. And that's S-O-L-P-R-I.com. Welcome to the Smart Athlete Podcast. I'm your host, Jesse Funk. My guest today is a former Division I track athlete at Tennessee. He's also a former pro triathlete. Uh, before that, he was amateur world champion triathlon in 2008. He's got his master's in sports psychology. And he's had a very interesting career, which we're going to get into at one time during his triathlon career, he represented the Just Lead nonprofit organization, and currently he's a medical device manager at Abiomed. Welcome to the show, Eric Bell. Jesse, thanks so much. Glad to be here. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I, I like your background. If you're not on the YouTube version, if you're on the audio-only version, you're missing out on the, it looks like an interesting painting and probably a pretty cool clock in your background versus my like total mess house under reconstruction <laughs> yeah. kind of background going on. Yeah, this is my office. So this is what I, this is as, as the pandemic uh, kind of happened and we all became um, kind of used to the podcasting or, or virtual reality uh, of meetings, this turned into my office and here it is. So, yeah, I know it's, it's been interesting and why it, when I've gotten back on, I, I don't know if you're familiar with, um, reddit so it's a large collection of forums and sub forums about anything under the sun from cat memes to triathlon um i know people have like there have been people posting about you know how to deal with this situation and like you know background they like share backgrounds and stuff and sometimes there's like most recently i saw a, a comical background from the show the office so it looks like you're in an office and there's this, you know, kind of window behind you, but then you can see the characters from the show, like <laughs> behind the window, it's very yeah. subtle. Uh, so it's, it's interesting, like the creative solutions people have come up with now that this is everybody's world and not just like people like me who, who were doing this pre pre pandemic. So, right. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so it, I, I want to ask kind of straight off, which is um, a bit of a hard jump, but I mean, you have your master's in sports psychology, but you're working, uh, what, well, you know, previously medical vice rep, now a manager. How do you make that jump? Why, why are you not like coaching teams to success? I mean, how do you change industries like that? Yeah. So if I go back, uh, back, you know, after college, I went and got a real job right after you're an athlete and getting your degree. And, and I was a personal trainer and did a bunch of fitness things. And, uh, I have a fascination with um, psychology and I saw a sports psychologist when I was at the University of Tennessee. We'd meet weekly. Uh, Dr. Craig Risberg was his name. And I thought, okay, um, I really want to dive deeper into this uh, spectrum. And so I decided to go get my master's degree while I was getting my master's degree. I had just been kind of running and that's when I started my triathlon career. Um, and so they kind of went simultaneously down the path that I really didn't know where the path would go. Mm -hmm. And my triathlon career ended about, um, so got my master's degree, kind of did triathlon for about six more years um, after that. And so when I finished my 
career, my kind of my career kind of came to an end. I was actually going to try to qualify for the um, 2012 uh, Olympic team, and I was training in Australia. Came back from Australia, ran a, a half marathon here in Knoxville, off a of very little running. Uh, ended up running 112, and I was like, "Oh man, I'm so fit. This is going to be a perfect year for me." Mm-hmm. And I remember waking up the next day and I could barely walk and kind of yeah, that lasted like three or four days. And I was like, that's never happened to me. And so I just kind of chalked it up to, well, I hadn't been running that much. It was, mm-hmm. I was doing a ton of swimming and biking and long story short, um, that year, my, my career, I had never, you know, I've been racing since I was in sixth grade mm-hmm. and I'm 30 years old or 31 at the time. And never dropped out of a race in my life for mm-hmm. any reason. Right. I never quit. Yeah. And all of a sudden I started getting these races and it literally felt like somebody just unplugged me. Like I'd get, I'd get out of the, out of the swim, get on my bike. And I, I literally couldn't turn the pedals over. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, something physically is wrong with me. And uh, so I started getting all this, this work done and, and blood tests and this test and this test. And I thought I had mono. That's kind of the, the feeling I had. And sure enough, what happened was um, I ended up getting my testosterone checked and mm-hmm. my testosterone levels were like 150. Yeah. Well, a 150 testosterone level is like an 85 year old man. Yeah. And, you know, I'm trying to compete at the highest level in the world and it's not going to work. And so at that time it was, I was 31 and I was like, all right, this probably is, this probably isn't going to work for me anymore. I don't know how to continue on at this level with kind of what's happening and my body kind of falling apart. So I took a Highlands aptitude and ability test and I, I wish that I had gone back. I wanted to help people. That's my, that's my general interest is helping people in any spectrum. I'm fascinated with psychology. I'm fascinated with medicine. Therefore, I took the Highlands Aptitude and Ability Test, and out of that test came, hey, you'd be great at, as a doctor, but this, the part of becoming, of going back to school and having to do that at 31, that's going to be a real struggle. So the guy was like, you're a born sales guy. Go do medical sales. And so I was like, all right. And so that's kind of been my path the last 10 years. Um as things have progressed over the last few years, the sports psychology world and even psychology, whether it's industrial or organizational psychology, has become more of a fascination of mine. And I think that there will come a day where I'll take my last 10 years of work experience, however long that lasts, take my sports psychology experience. And I think that there'll be a time period where I'll, I'll merge and, and kind of take the two worlds and they'll become one. And so not necessarily saying that my sports psychology background or degree is is on the is off the table. I just think that I went down a different path and it's going to lead me to another one. Yeah, you know, it, I, I think that's a pretty common um, train of thought, right? Where it's like I'm interested in this, I'm going to go do this, but I don't know where the path will lead. Though, in your case, I ask because it's a master's, not undergrad, because usually people yeah. are like. Hey, I'm gonna go do this undergrad thing, and then I don't know where it'll go. And by the masters, you know, more—not everybody, obviously—but more people have it kind of figured out, or they're they're more sure of like this is the thing I want to do. Now, again, not that it's everybody, because I even know I feel like I wish I could think who it was, but I feel like I've spoken to even uh, you know PhD graduates that are like, I thought I wanted to do this, and then I got out and I was like, no, I just wasted all this time. And yeah. <laughs> yeah. So. I, I totally get that as well. What, how do you, how do you merge those two? I mean, do, is there, yeah. is there a coherent thought on that or is it like, I have a feeling that there's going to be some convergence? Well, um, it's interesting that you say that because I, you know, it's about performance, right? I mean, mm-hmm. even though I'm, I may not be competing on the track or in triathlon, I'm now in the, in the uh, business sector and I'm in sales and it has a performance mechanism. It's interesting. I've been listening a lot to Simon Sinek mm-hmm. and uh, his new book, um, The Infinite Games. And it's the, the difference is that a race has a beginning and an end. It's time, you know, all the common players, right. whereas my world now does not have all that. Right. There is no beginning and end. I guess there is in, in a quote unquote 
you know, working with, you know, when you have a, when you're in a company that reports to Wall Street, there's quarterly numbers, we report it to the street and stuff like that. But at the end of the day, we're trying to build a business and that business will, is, was here before me and will be here when I leave. Mm-hmm. But the, so I really try to insist that my team focuses on the process. And that was my biggest hurdle in, in going back to my college career and even triathlon. It's like, what is that process and how can I stay in the moment each time in, instead of getting ahead of myself? I'm a big, you know, intuitive guy, feeler, and I get into certain races and you're going to go through so many roller coasters throughout that specific race. You know, one minute you're feeling great. The next minute you're like, dude, I want to drop out of this race. I'm hurting so bad. And then the feeling changes as you continue in your mm-hmm. fitness levels. And it's the same process in business. There are some days that, that, the activities don't match the uh, the results. And then there are days that the results don't match the activities. And so you just got to kind of get to a plan and stick to the plan on a regular basis. And, and that's what I try to teach my team. And that's what I tried to live by is, you know, here is my process. Am I sticking to my process every single day? This is kind of, so a, there is uh, some parallels. Yeah. This was kind of like straddling the line between, you know, career and racing, but thinking about that consistency, um, that's something I, so I have another show called Runner's High on the YouTube channel. Uh, Again, for if you're just listening, there's a YouTube channel, check that out. Um, But I talk about consistency all the time. And a lot of that is following the process, sticking to your plan. But the one thing I think is troublesome, and you touched on earlier, I think, along with kind of hitting that, what seemed like the wall of overtraining and your testosterone mm-hmm. going in the toilet is trying to figure out when not to stick to the plan. You know, when the plan is actually a point, a breaking point, because you're all, I mean, fitness wise, you're always trying to straddle the line between training just enough and training too much yeah. because that's where maximum gains are. So, I mean, is it the same thing career wise when you're pushing your team, you're, you're, sticking to the plan, but then how do you know when not to stick to the plan? Like, you know, what, what in both realms, what are the indicators there? Like, how, how do you, how do you yeah. know when to, when to change course? So I, I, I think that um, I know exactly what you're talking about. So if I go back and I look at my high school, my high school career, when I was in high school, I was running literally Jesse 20 to 25 miles a week mm-hmm. and ran four fifteen. Yeah. Okay. That, that if you talk to any distance runner today, 20, 25 miles a week, they're like, dude, that's not a distance runner. That's a 400 meter, you know, or 800 right, meter guy. Right. You get to college and everybody's like, oh, you got to go 60 miles a week, 70 miles a week, 80 miles a week. Right. You got to do that. So that's what I did. Right. I went from where I was to that plan. Mm-hmm. Right. Which is what everybody says you have to do to be the best. OK, well, my first year, I made it to November, got hurt. My second year, I made it to back it out to, um, I don't know, January, February, got hurt. My third year, it was May, got hurt. And so finally, my my fourth year, I was like, all right, here's the deal. I'm going to run 45 to 50 miles a week, and I'm not going to get hurt. And however fast I run is how fast I run. Mm-hmm. And the rest of the guys on the team were doing their thing. I mean, I, I took a day off every week. Yeah. I ran 14, 14 18 in a 5K off that type of training. Yeah. Right? And it goes back to your thing. The plan is not the same for everybody. Right. So what works for you may not work for me. And every distance runner's plan is not the same. The key is I think that our bodies speak to us. Mm -hmm. The problem with distance runners is we take that, we take that information and think, oh, you got to push harder because in order to become the best, you got to go through pain. Mm-hmm. and that pain mechanism you got to shut it off and that's becomes the best well there's a difference between pain and and listening to your body that maybe today you just don't have it maybe you didn't recover that well i think with all the technologies that are out there it's unbelievable you know you see the whoop devices you see the apple watches mm-hmm. they give you so much feedback on your recovery whereas 10 years ago that stuff wasn't around i, I right. feel like that the athletes today have a lot you know, a lot better advantage. If I had a whoop device that was telling me, dude, you slept like crap, you didn't recover, then maybe I wouldn't go out and, and throttle myself on 10 400s that day. Yeah. Right. I'd be like, dude, I, I, my body can't take that. I need an easy day. Um, 
and and the same the same is true in business. There are times I, I always look at my team and I'm like, okay, what are we doing? What was our plan this week? Did we accomplish our plan? And and if I look back and think our activity was was crap, we didn't do anything. Or you know, we sell a device that saves patients' lives. It's it's a heart pump. Well, um, heart attacks don't have a time or day. They don't care about the time or day. They don't care right. about the holiday. So my teams are, me and my teams are in the hospital day, night, two in the morning, two in the afternoon. It could be a Saturday, Sunday. It could be a Christmas day. It doesn't matter. Our teams are always in the hospital. And what I try to do is I try to recognize when myself or my team may have been working too hard and they may need a day off, right? Or I need to really kind of say something and it, you know, it, it, I have to look and think, okay, is this the day that I need to say it? Or is the team just so beat up that they're not going to handle, you know, maybe some some uh, criticism, not so much criticism, but just some some coaching advice. Mm -hmm. But you know what I'm saying? And so it kind of all it all works together in that spectrum is, you know, when is the right time and are you listening to your body? And there I just I just feel like there's a lot of things in life that that will teach you and show you. And listening to our bodies is probably one of the key things in and for, for whatever reason, as a distance runner, I don't think we're very good at listening to our bodies very well. Yeah. So well, it, no, go ahead. You're fine. Yeah. Well, I was just saying, you know, and that's the key to being the most successful. I think I look at golfers and I'm like, how do they always do it? Right. They have a bad shot. The best golfers in the world don't let that bad shot carry into three or four or five more bad shots. They're like, okay, I had a bad shot. Now I got to move, move on. Or, they hit a bad shot and they're like, okay, I'm, I can't get to the green from here. I'm going to take my medicine and do X. And then they set themselves up so that they're, that this one bad shot doesn't lead to a bad score. And I think that that's the key too, is that is one bad race, one bad, you know, month in, in business, one bad week, don't compound it. Right. And, and I think that's the other key is staying in the moment and sticking to the process and not thinking, okay, these things are going to carry on and these, this bad week or bad mistake or whatever the, you know, bad workout, it's not, I'm not going to let it carry on because it really doesn't define me. Um, and it, it's not really who I am right now. Yeah. It's, I've, I've got a lot of thoughts here. Um, <laughs> it's like hard to know where to start, but you know, it, it, I think part of that is like, that's taken at least on my part, some maturity over the years of knowing the like, maybe you just had a crap day. I mean, it's like, I'm, I'm going through that a little bit right now as I'm, I'm rebuilding running my, you know, I've come away from triathlon. I'm coming back to running 32 now. And I'm, I'm trying to get back into like college level running shape to run some 10 KPRs before I'm too old to do so anymore. You know yeah. what I mean? Like this is kind yeah. of the last shot. And I'm just, my long run pace now is like 715 versus like, it was like 645 at kind of my peak. And I could run 645, but like, that's, that's too hard for what I should be doing right now, you know? Mm -hmm. And it, so it's taken some maturity and still there's that kind of almost re reactionary thing. That's like, ah, I'm not as good as I was. And it's like, mm -hmm. like be patient, stick to the plan. And then again, like I didn't have a great day Wednesday doing, we've just moved from like tempo to like low threshold type, type of work in a fart lick. And it was not great. Times were not great. And it's like, there's that part of you that goes, I'm never going to get there. I'm just not, you know, but then the other part has to say, don't be reactionary. Like it's just one day. Like maybe you didn't recover enough you know, increasing miles, the temperature, what it, like there's all these externalities it's just one point in time. It's not going to define absolutely everything. And, and that, that lack of being reactionary to a negative event or a positive event for sure is, is I think one of the keys to being great at whatever you're doing, because like we talked about earlier, you're, you're going to stay the course, whether it was amazing or terrible, you know, maybe that adjusts you a little bit, but you're still like, you know, okay, things are working. We're just going to keep doing the thing that we were doing before. Right. Right. I, you know, it's interesting. I a hundred percent agree with you. I think that what 
I didn't do maybe at a younger age that I wish I did was take a step back and reflect on things more mm-hmm. um, and, and not have so much judgment, but just take a step back and say, okay, what, what is working? What was working? I'll never forget. I was at the University of Florida. That's where I, out of high school, I signed at the University of Florida. I know it's ironic if anybody is listening that I went from the University of Florida to the University of Tennessee, the two big rivals. But the former University of Tennessee coach, Doug Brown, um, legendary coach at Tennessee, went down to Florida and coached down there, and I followed him down there. And I went to summer school. So I'm finishing my career uh, or finished high school and went down and went to summer school. And first, uh, first day that kind of everybody was there, we had to do a 10 mile tempo run. Well, 10 mile tempo run in August in Gainesville, Florida is hard. Okay. Yeah. It's hot. It's miserable. It's humid. And, uh, we get there and all the, even walk-ons guys trying out were there. And I finished dead last that day. And I remember thinking, dude, I, what, what am I doing? I can't run in college. I can't run at this level. And I remember him thinking, I remember him telling me, hey, dude, don't worry about it. It's just a day. He goes, you got big fish to fry here. And I thought to myself, what? Like most coaches would be pissed, right? Yeah. Just pissed. What are you doing? You're a sissy. You, you got to be tougher. And sure enough, this he, he encouraged me so much. I have an internal critic that's going to beat me up anyway. Mm-hmm. And he encouraged me. And I ended up being 16th at the SEC conference as a freshman, I was a top freshman in the SEC that year, right? I mean, I literally go from finishing last on a, on a team run at the University of Florida to top freshman. And it was because I didn't let that one moment define me, kind of to mm-hmm. your point. And I had a coach that encouraged me. And it's interesting as, as kids start to look at schools and, and think about who's coaching, we all want to go to the school that, you know, gets recognition and yada, yada, yada. But I think that the, uh, the key is it's like a relationship. And it's a long relationship and you better find the coach that you love and that really fits you because if not, it will be a long four or five years and you may not enjoy running the way you used to. Um, But I also say that it's the same thing just because you have one good race doesn't, you know, this step, you got to come back the next day and do it again. But if you take a step back and think, all right, what have I done the last few weeks that have been really good? Let's continue to do those. Or I had a bad day. What what was going on here that day? It's kind of a reflective question that we should be asking ourselves more. Hey, what's going on? Am I tired? Am I emotionally up, you know, down for some reason? Is there a lot of things going on in my life? Am I stressed? And so taking a step back allows you to kind of look at the whole picture. And as a distance runner, we're always like based on the time that day, mm-hmm. that that is who I am. And I just don't necessarily think that that's the truth. Yeah. Well, it's, it, as you mentioned about yourself, and I think this is true of a lot of distance runners or endurance athletes, we, you know, have that internal critic. And again, that, as you mentioned, that I'm only as good as my last run, you know, yeah. I, it, I may have run my, my lifetime PR two days ago, but who gives a shit? It's today that I'm terrible. <laughs> yeah. And that's who I am now. Yeah. You know, yeah. It, <laughs> so it's like, I, I think as you had that, that experience of encouragement, I think that's crucial um gosh i've just forgotten her name former pro british triathlete it'll come to me i've had her on the podcast before um talking about she had a really great beginning of her pro career and she raced for 10 12 years as a pro and just really lived most of it in overtraining um because you know a lot of her coaching i think was to continue to be echo that like internal critic to be like, go harder, go harder, do more mm-hmm. when it was like, she didn't need that. She already had that. I mean, most of us mm-hmm. that go on regardless of like, like I ran at what's now a division two school, but whether, you know, your division two, division one, division three, NAIA, whatever it is, if you're in college and you're running, like you're still part of a group that most people will never be able to be a part of and if you for survive sure. four years in that atmosphere you have something internally that's driving you forward you probably don't need a coach to be your personal whipping boy like you just yeah. you just don't need it so it's i think probably shows your coach's experience to know there is very little good to come from like beating an athlete up over one day because you just don't get through 
endurance endurance sports without a big internal motivator like people don't last i've seen plenty of people that were way more talented than me that could cut you know i remember a, a guy who ran soccer at, at the school i went to he came out and we were running 8Ks uh, for our conference versus 10Ks. And uh, he came out and ran like low 26s, high 25s or something off of like no training. Yeah. But he was like, eh, I don't really like it. I don't want to do it. It, <laughs> yeah. it that, that always just irritated the crap out of me because it was like you've, got, like, you've got such awesome legs that I, I will probably never have, right. but you don't want to use them. So I, that's right. how I know for sure you've got to have that internal motivation or you don't make it. So it's like, it, it, I don't know, I, I'm, I guess I'm happy that coaches out there like exist that know we don't really need to beat up on everybody. Yeah, I always say that um, I don't think anybody and, and especially very few distance runners need a coach like Bobby Knight. I mean, I just yeah. don't think that that works for distance running, you know, and the best coaches in the world are those coaches that, you know, can can look at their team and think all right i've got a team i've got a plan i i know i've got a you know all 10 of these guys or 12 or 10 guys or girls they need to do x today for a workout and the best are the ones that are thinking okay is this a motivator thing do i need to motivate this person or is it is it something that they're fatigued and i need to pull them off the track and say hey we're not going to keep throttling ourselves you need to go for an easy cool down run and go back and just rest and chill out Mm -hmm. the best coaches in the world are those people that can recognize that and adapt and change to make the, to make that be the plan for that particular individual. I mean, it just doesn't work for everybody. You and I, you know, can run the same times and you may have to run 70 miles a week and I may have to run 40, mm -hmm. but that's because our bodies are just different. You yeah. know, that's just how we're made. So everybody's, everybody's different. Yeah. And that's, you talked about that earlier. That's exactly the case because, I always responded very positively to extra miles. Just it just like when we went, when I went from six days a week to seven days a week, I tacked on like a 12 mile recovery run on Sundays. That's the year I dropped a minute in my 5k. I went from high 16s to high 15s. Yeah. Like that was the rest of the training plan. Didn't change much from one year to the next, just adding that extra mileage. And yep. so that's something that works well for me. So I kind of fit that almost typical like more miles better yeah. times mold but i know that you know people like you exist where you can run or should run lower miles because you're not going to tolerate them and as you said the good the thing about great coaching and i think great athletes is that they recognize that there is a difference and not everybody fits into one mold it's 100 percent the fact. I think that that's the key, whether you're a coach, whether you're a boss, it's that there's no one way to do it. It's yeah. just not. And if there was, then we'd all have it. We'd all be, you know, Steve Jobs because he has a plan and we'd be, you know, right. he could tell you the plan and you go do it and you become, you know, a bazillionaire because you created Apple and it's just, we're all different and all created differently. And, and, you know, you've got to listen to yourself and you got to listen to those around you and trust the, the people that, you know, you don't need those critics. If you're a guy that's already guy or gal, that's already a huge critic. You know, yeah. I don't need it. I don't need you to pile it on me. I actually need you to take it off of me. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I need you to say, Hey, let's go, man. Quit beating yourself up. Right. Um, you know, and there's plenty there. Maybe there are some out there that need that kind of extra kick and extra critic guy, but it's just, that wasn't me. So I, I did it differently. You know, I, I think that, and this isn't to uh, disparage, like high school athletes or beginning athletes, I think sometimes that's more appropriate for that atmosphere where it's like people are more casually interested, but it's like, I think once you get to the point of, you know, serious collegiate athletics, you know, pro runners, you know, uh, high level amateur triathletes, pros mm -hmm. of any, you know, at that point, it's like, you've already self-selected mm -hmm. like, you're in it. You yeah. Know, you don't, you don't, so it's, I think it's again, maybe more for, I can think of, you know, high school athletes I ran with that I've, uh, you know, been around coached very, very briefly um, while I was in college. And, 
there are people that come out that are there because their friends are there, you know, and they need some motivation because this is not their jam, but they want to be with their friend. So they, they need that energy for sure. But then the other people don't. So, um, I want to ask you about, cause you know, you're interested in psychology, you got the degree, you've been through it. Uh, you know, we're earlier, we were talking about types of pain and distinguishing the difference between, you know, this is uncomfortable or this is something's wrong, mm-hmm. you know, and this is, this is where I think English kind of fails us as a language in that we just talk about it. Does it hurt? It, yeah. it's, it's pain, right? You're, it's, you're in pain, yeah. right? It's like, yeah. okay, but what kind of pain? Is it burning? Is it stabbing? Is it tingling? Yeah. Is, it, is it aching? Is it, it's like we, you know, and that is one way to try to distinguish, but it's even that seems so imprecise. It's like, how do we better describe these sensations? Cause you know, you know, we both know, and anybody listening that's been through this, like if you're going out for, uh, you know, threshold, like a aerobic threshold or an anaerobic right. threshold, they're two different feelings and mm-hmm. they're two different kind of walls to, to mm-hmm. get through. And I would describe it as a, a burning pain, but something I can relax into with enough experience. I think you can mm-hmm. let your mind be like, I just it just hurts right now and it's, it's burning and it's fine. But then there's like almost a, a deeper sense of ache is not quite the right word. See, this is the language is the, is the barrier here. It's this like deeper sense of inconsistency or like a glitch in gears or, or something where it's your legs just aren't turning over. You know, yeah. you're, you're trying to get up to that thing. It just, you know, you can't reach that gear and something is just holding you back. And maybe it's not even painful, but it's like, to me, it's almost a lack of rhythm or, or something mm-hmm. like that. But it's like, how, how do we communicate these things? How do we identify them internally? That's always something I've struggled with in that I'm pretty good, at least inside my own self, knowing what they are, but trying to teach somebody else, like, this is what to feel for. I, I don't know how to communicate that. So I just curious if you have any thoughts on do, what's the classification system? How do we teach people to, to feel through these different types of pain? Yeah. So, you know, there, you know, when I think of pain, it's, it's like, okay, is this a physical pain, like pain where it will hurt you, you know, like a pain in your in your hamstring or your quad or whatever. And, or, and you're like overtraining and you just think, you know, or a, it could be a potential hot spot that turns into a stress for stress fracture, like a pain that will not go away, no matter what you're doing that day. That's a mm. pain that needs to be recognized and to be dealt with. That is not a pain of in your head. Right. You have, you, you're trying to work through it. And then when you get into uh, specific workouts, right there, it, it's understandably so that, um, that you will get into a workout and there will be a time period in there where you will want to quit. You will want to get rid of that, that quote unquote, that pain, right? Because it's starting to over, it's, it's like, okay, I'm hitting this wall. I know that in order to get to the next fitness level, I need to keep sticking with this and sit with it. I think that we naturally do not, you know, you mentioned the word relax, um, I think that there's a, you know, probably breath work is important, you know, meditative work. I think those things are super important for people to say, okay, I'm going to breathe into this. If you've ever, I, you know, as a triathlete, you've been on that bike and you're like, just hammering it, hammering it, hammering it. And all of a sudden you, you kind of take some deep breaths and you say, okay, dude, I'm hurting. I've got to relax into this. All of a sudden you realize if you have a power meter or whatever, you can continue the power mm-hmm. and all of a sudden the, the, uh, the, the energy changes in your body. Mm-hmm. Right. And you settle into this, you settle into it. And so you, you kind of enter into that world, so to speak. And then it's like, okay, what's on the other side of that? I don't know what's going to happen on the other side of that, but in order for us to really, uh, it's almost like we sit with our pain. We don't, we don't as human beings naturally do that very well. No, we, 
we want to get rid of it. Like whatever it is, I'm going to get rid of it. I'm going to drink my pain away. I'm going to drug my pain away. I'm going to do whatever the pain is. I'm going to do whatever it is to get rid of it mm -hmm. as opposed to entering into it. It's the same process of what we, you and I were speaking to earlier. Take a step back and be like, what is this about? What's going on here? It says self-evaluation. Like what's this pain about? Is this pain an injury pain or is this pain? This is normal pain that I have to get through to go to the next level to get to the next fitness level. And I think that that's the thing that we need to really, that, that athletes, um, you know, the best athletes kind of can sit with their own pain and work through their, their quote unquote pain. So there is a difference between fitness level, quote unquote pain and an injury pain. And, and, and knowing the difference is the key to your success in my mind. It's like, you, you've got to listen to your body and if it is teaching, telling you, you've got a hot spot and if you keep going, you're going to get a stress fracture, you probably pay attention to that or otherwise you, you don't and you end up getting a stress fracture. The body has a unique way of saying, if you don't listen to me now, I'm going to make you listen to me later, mm -hmm. right? And you may get a stress fracture and two or three days off in the beginning would have been a heck of a lot better than three months off now, yeah. right? If we'd have listened to it. But it, I think the, body's, the body is a fascinating thing. And in order for us to, we need to be one with our body. It's a mind and our body and our spirit. And it needs to be all kind of one to kind of get, if we can get that to work together, you will have a lot of success. It's when you are at odds with those, one of those two, three things that you just, in my mind, you kind of struggle and your body ends up teaching you harder lessons than if you just kind of worked with it. Yeah. Well, and you know, you've been through that. Like I said, I, I think the way you described it as a, I would translate it as like momentary versus persistent pain, mm, you know, be, but it's like also generalized versus pinpoint, right? It's, yeah. If it's like mm -hmm. you were, let's go back to like, we're doing anaerobic thresholds. We're doing 400 meter repeats and the lactic acid just, it's just going to build <laughs> up. Like yeah. there's a point where your body is going to be screaming at you and it's going to be almost your entire body but if, if there's like your ankle or your achilles tendon or something is on fire even after you stop and it hurts when you're walking around yep. like that's the difference between momentary versus persistent and generalized versus pinpoint For and sure. i think that's a great way to to diagnose it. it it that's i just think about i talk to a lot of beginning runners or or young athletes and it's like how, you know, how do I translate that experience into words? So it's, it's nice to hear from someone like you who can make it a little more cogent than me uh, to solidify my own thoughts, just because it is so important to learn that lesson. And, I, you know, because the, the balance in endurance running, right, is between listening to your body and ignoring it entirely. Yeah. You know, I, it's, yep. There's this, this quote I tell a lot of people from one of my college coaches, because I, not to be um, like braggadocious, but I'm fairly smart. So I like to overthink things. Yeah. And I, I would just, I would try to think all the minutia and we'd be doing repeats and stuff. And he said, he said to me, Jesse, do you, do you know why stupid people are so much faster than you? Because <laughs> they don't think they just run. Yeah, that's a fact. I get that. Trust me, I've thought many times, can you, can I just, is there a switch that I can just turn my brain off and just go? And for, uh, it, I wish there was a switch, you know, yeah. because I think you, I, to your point, I, I overthink things. I'm like, oh gosh, okay, you get in a race and you're like, oh crap, <laughs> you know, I, I'm trying to run, you know, this and I just, oh, did I just mess up my whole race because I went out too fast or whatever? Yeah. Um, and to your point, I wish I could just turn my brain off and, and just run. I think if I look back in life, the uh, back when I was um, first starting and stuff, the, the coaches would be like, hey, this person, he is the best here at this meet. I want you to go run with him as, as long as you can. And so I didn't think about, I didn't think about times. I didn't yeah. think about anything. I was like, I just got to go stay with him as long as I can and see what happens. Right. And that was, I had some of my best performances doing that. Yeah. versus okay guys we, we got to go out you're gonna have to run this lap and this lap and this lap and this lap i was just like i, I got in there and i'm overthinking it just like you yeah uh, i was like oh 65 crap that's too fast now what you know now what's gonna yeah. happen 
Yeah. Right. So I hear you. Well, it's like, I just did, I just did uh, uh, um, one of the running show episodes talking about, talking about pacing and, and the benefits of like being able to sit on somebody for a while and not have to do your own pacing. It's like, we underestimate how much brain power we're using just to try to maintain a pace. Whereas if we could just say, Oh, that guy's got it and shut it down. <laughs> yeah. It, yeah. It becomes so much easier. And, you know, and that's like, I'm sure you've seen them. Anybody that's watched any of the, like the Prefontaine movies, like that's a theme that's played over and over and over. Cause he wanted to be in the front the whole time. And that was kind of yeah. his ethos. And it's like, I get it. Like from, from a philosophical, like ethical standpoint, you want to be the winner from line to line. You know, yeah. nobody came to touch. So I, I get it. But at the same time, it's like, and eventually he did, but it's like you're limiting your potential because you're using up that brain power sooner than you oh, have yeah. to. And it's just, that. that's another thing that sometimes people will listen to you when you tell them and other people just got to experience it. <laughs> I think we all are like that, right? We've been told so many things in our life or at different times as kids or whatever. And you're, you're like, ah, oh, no, I think I know better. And yeah. Again, it always goes back to life has a way of teaching you the lesson that you may need to learn. Yeah. And, you know, it's the same with running. Uh, it, you'll learn the lesson one way or the other, right? And it's yeah. whether or not you adapt to that lesson afterwards or not. Yeah. It's a little bit of a hard shift, but before we run out of time, I, I did want to ask you a little more about the nonprofit work you were doing while you were racing, how that all kind of went together and what, what you were doing. Yeah, so um, Just Lead is, a, is an organization here in Knoxville. It's, it's been around, it was around before me, and uh, I got, um, got involved with them, and my vision was always to help people. And I, you know, I tell people, when I started triathlon, if you, it, the truth is, I didn't, I never, I didn't come from a swimming background. And so I literally was like, I don't even know if I can do this. Mm -hmm. And I just, I hired a coach. His name was Brent Lorenzen. And um, he was like, hey, man, this is what you're going to do. You're going to swim 50s. Like, all, that's all you're going to do. 50s with a paddle and buoy and and uh, a band. And you're going to do 50s. And let's see what happens. Let's see how fast you can get just by swimming repeat 50s. And that's what I did literally for an entire year. I didn't go over 50 yards. And um, my first race, I panicked. And and I swam the entire mile on my back and to go from that point to the success that I had in triathlon. Um, I always wanted people to know and kids to know if you want to do something, you can do it. Mm -hmm. Don't be the limiting factor in your mind. And so this just lead group is a, is a, a, a group in Knoxville that, that helps um, inner city kids um, after school, they kind of have a program after school, they do a, a lot of athletics and they, they have mentors and they, um, ha, uh, allow for the kids to, that may not have a great family, uh, family home, you know, have a place to go after school to learn new ways of doing thing, things. And so I got involved with them because I believed that I wanted to, to teach those kids that they have the ability to do whatever it is they want to do if they, if they really think and believe it. And so we would, I would go there and I would do a lot of talking and I'd hang out with the kids and, and I, I just wanted them to know, like, no matter what their circumstances is, just like me, no background in swimming, you put the hard work into it and it will reward you, but you got to believe in yourself. And so that was the, uh, that was a premise behind why I got involved uh, with Just Lead here in Knoxville is because I wanted to, to help those kids that may not have been as fortunate as I was to believe in themselves that, that they have the, the, uh, they have the ability to change their, their destiny, so to speak. You know, kind of that your thought kind of reminds me of, of myself, although I didn't have as much success in triathlon as, as you did. Um, I did not have a swimming background. I actually avoided swimming for a long time. And when I began swimming in college, I mean, I, I have sinus problems, which I finally figured out after college, after I've been racing for 10 years, it's actually just like, year round allergies that I can deal with. But like, because of that, I couldn't swim one length of the pool with my face in the water. Like I had to be, you know, head out yeah. of the water, like doing yeah. polo. I couldn't do it. And then, you know, got to the point where I'm racing, you know, half Ironmans going sub four thirty. Like it's, 
because I wanted it bad enough. Yep. And I think the important thing to take away is that, you know, we're kind of two counterpoints of a similar story in that you did reach your, you know, the, the stage of being a pro and I did not quite get there, um, which uh, that's a whole story. I crashed and had to have surgery and the whole thing, but um, it, I still ended up in a place that's very much different than I could have imagined because I pursued that thing. Right. And that's something I think gets lost. I, I see a lot of cynicism nowadays about you know you give that attitude that if you work hard enough you can achieve anything you want and it's like you get this this pushback of well no no you can't like you're you know you yourself very genetically gifted running low four minute mile in high school off of 20 25 miles a week like that's incredible not everybody could do that but even though everybody can't do that if it's something you want and you pursue it, you are going to go places that other people wouldn't have gone and you wouldn't have gone had you not pursued it, had you just sat back and been like, well, I'll just give up, mm-hmm. you know? And there's mm-hmm. talking about, um, I'm trying to remember what you said exactly, talking about life having, having a way of showing you or your body having a way of showing you what it wants. Mm-hmm. I think life kind of similar, similarly has a way of, kind of putting you where you need to be if you put in the effort you know maybe it's like in my case maybe it's not being a pro triathlete but now i you know i'm leading this company and it's affecting people and it it came through my pursuit of triathlon like the company never would have existed had i not pursued that path i just wouldn't have something else may have existed but this the thing i'm doing now wouldn't have and percent I think communicating that idea is a little tough because it's not succinct. It's not like just work hard and make it like, you know, it's it's not a sound bite, but but that's my counterpoint to like the cynicism I see of the people just talk about survivorship bias was like, well, only the millionaires talk about if you just work hard, you can be a millionaire. It's like, okay, a little bit, but yes, there were some people that fell off, didn't make it where, whether it be being rich or being a pro athlete or, being a professional musician or whatever it is, it's like, yeah, some people fell off, but if you continue with the process, with the consistency, then like it will lead you somewhere that I think the majority of the time will be a good place. So I don't know if you have any thoughts on that. Well, I think a hundred percent. If, if you'd have told me at 18 or 19, when I was going through some events that I've described to you, that somehow I'd be able to relate those to what I'm doing now. I'd have been like, dude, what are you talking about? Mm -hmm. Right. You're crazy. Um, but the truth is you, we, everything you kind of go through in life and everything that you deal with. And I think athletes have a unique way because they have so many failures and successes and it's all in one, right. All in a season. Mm -hmm. And it could happen actually in a couple of days, you'd have be at the lowest point and be at the highest point in a matter of days. I mean, I remember just going back real quick, SECs, I, my senior, my, my senior year, I just, we, we all, we all crapped the bed. I mean, we were like tennis. We should have been top two in the SEC. We were like fifth. I mean, and our coach was so mad and all of us were like, dude, what are we going to do now? I mean, we, we were, what do we got regions in two weeks and we, we had a region that we were probably second or third we ended up winning region out here because we kind of banded together and, and said, let's go do, we know we can believe it. Let's believe in ourselves. Let's go do this. But I just think about that in a, in a microcosm of life, two weeks prior, we were, we were all like, Oh, dude, we suck. Two weeks later, we're on top of the world. And that's, that's kind of life, the opportunities that you kind of put yourself in position. Yeah, of course. Some people are more gifted than others. Some people have, have been given more than others. But at the end of the day, each of these things, especially as an athlete, teaches us a lesson. And sometimes we don't know where that ends up. And here we are, you know, here I am at 41 doing what I'm doing. I don't know where I'm going to be in 20 more years, but I can promise you that that all the lessons that I look back and think, okay, this and that and this and that, they all kind of converge and kind of can help you if you're willing to kind of take a step back and look back to kind of our original point 
take a step back every now and then and look at what's going on and see where you might be able to change and maybe pivot and adapt. Yeah. So we're almost out of time. So I'll ask you real quick. I'm asking everybody the same question this year and you kind of already touched on it and probably in some way already answered it, but I want to ask you, how do you stay motivated after failing to reach a goal? Um, how do I stay motivated after failing to reach a goal is the belief that I, I had in the beginning, you know, I had a belief in the beginning that I could do it. And just because I may not have accomplished it that particular day doesn't mean I can't accomplish it. And sometimes that, that, you know, just like I just said, that may end up a different goal later in life. Like, right. I wanted to make an Olympic team. I, I, I couldn't, I didn't make the Olympic team, but I, I, a lot of things happened in my pursuit of trying to get there. I met a lot of people. I got to travel the world. I saw a lot of different things. And in the process, I learned a lot about myself. So while the ultimate goal is, is unbelievable, and sometimes you may fail to get to that ultimate goal, at the end of the day, there's a lot of things that happen, steps along the way that will teach you about yourself and you'll be able to learn. Sounds good. And at the end of the day, Jesse, about giving back to people exactly what you're doing you got this podcast sharing with people and i mean at the end of the day that's i mean what's yeah we can make a lot of money we can do all this but then the day this we need to be about people and loving people and helping people become the best of who they are mm -hmm. and you look around that's just not happening right now and i think that um as athletes that have kind of been a part of teams that's the global you know this world's a team we're all we're all one one person how can we help our 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 the person next to us and you know we've all been on teams where we're like hey man come on come on let's keep going we got to keep going and that's kind of my thought is you know how can we help one another become the best of who we are yeah, that's a great point to end on eric i gotta get you to your next meeting so thanks for hanging out with me today i, I really appreciate it i'm sure we could keep going if you, if you didn't have somewhere to be so yeah, well, maybe I can jump on another time. We can have, uh, I, lo I love this. I think what you're doing is awesome. And Appreciate I'm always happy to uh, keep talking. And if there's um, anything I can help with, I'm always here. Absolutely. Take care. Thanks.